Hi, this is Eric from D2C Newsletter and Podcast. And before today's amazing podcast, I just want to make sure that everyone in our audience is subscribed to directtoconsumer.co, our twice a week D2C newsletter focused on the most advanced customer acquisition tactics working on the front lines of performance marketing today. Go to directtoconsumer.co right now and subscribe. And on with the show. You have to do the things that Amazon can't do. So Amazon can freaking give you every freaking option under the sun and Amazon can ship products and get them to you like the next day. Um, but what Amazon can't do is have beautifully packaged boxes, but what Amazon can't do is, is a really unique uh, user experience on the buying side where you just overwhelm them with content and information and videos and photography. Uh, what they can't do is, you know, bricks and mortar stuff. Like uh, we opened up a barbershop here in Austin, Texas, and, and you can come in and you can experience the products and you can get a haircut and you can get what you see on the YouTube channel. Amazon's never going to do that. Nope. Um, so these are ways that, in my opinion, if you want to build a company or a brand off of Amazon, these are the things you need to be thinking about. Brands, we need to talk. It's time to start texting your customers. Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform, has the most advanced SMS marketing solution to reach customers where they are on their phones. Yotpo enables brands to build unbeatable targeted SMS experiences to create customer connections and drive revenue fast. Visit yotpo.com, that's Y-O-T-P-O.com, and get personal with SMS marketing today. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC Podcast. Welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick, and today we are extremely lucky to be chatting with a true D2C OG, founder of beard brand, Eric Bandholes. Uh, now, Eric pioneered the urban beardsman market, uh, along with it, a number of critical plays from the D2C book, including the creation of incredible content marketing, deep customer identification and connection, as well as the idea of building in public, which is something Eric has tackled himself over the years. First of all, I'm just always able to meet another Eric. Uh, welcome to the D2C podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, look at us. A couple of Eric's. Just Hanging sitting out, here chatting. too. Yeah, just chatting business chatting business talks. I love it. I wanted to say, you know, you've, you have such a perspective, I think on, on the DTC space, having really pioneered, uh, that, you know, you know, beard brand, uh, you know, over the years, I wanted to ask, what are the, what are the main sort of strategies and tactics that, that you sort of, um, will say were, were the main reasons for beard brand to become such a, a, a entrenched longstanding brand? Yeah, I think there's uh, beard brand's been uh, we'll be celebrating our, our 10th year of existence in uh, January of next year, February next year. Um, so along those stages, there's a lot of different answers. Uh, in the early days, you know, when I, we, we had no capital resources, we had more time than money, as they like to say. We really leaned heavily on, on social media and being transparent, like you talked about, being open, sharing publicly what we were doing uh, as a way to grow organically. And then as we were able to get traction organically, we started to lean on um, other channels uh, in terms of like PR, uh, collaborations, uh, paid, of course, uh, paid social. And uh, we, we continued while that process to, to lean on organic. Uh, YouTube was our, our biggest driver of organic. We, we grew a channel over a million subscribers on our big YouTube channel and our smaller YouTube channels got about 150,000 subscribers. So, um, it's been a fun ride, you know, doing both paid and organic and telling our story and ha having a purpose for our business, I think is, is also a lot of fun. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, we're not just building this to be the, the biggest or the best or whatever, you know, where, where your, your purpose is derived from your competition. Uh, our purpose is intrinsically, mm. Uh, founded and it's uh, to make men awesome. And uh, we believe that that starts with our customers, at least through grooming and loving the man who's looking back at them in the mirror. 
love it. Were, now, were you the first major beard brand? Well, I mean, we're the only beard brand. Or what? There's only one beard brand. You're the only. Yeah, sorry. You are sorry. You are the beard but, brand. But, uh, I meant beard, that in a more general uh, Companies term. that sell beard grooming products. Uh, there were, um, if I remember correctly, there's a company called. Uh, I think it's like MCMC or something like that. They had a product called Dude Dude Number One. I think that was the very first beard oil. And then um, we okay. started off. We we didn't even start off selling our own product. We we worked with a company called The Bearded Bastard, and we sold their products for about a half a year before we developed our own products. Um, but when it came to like actually building a a company that was like not kitschy and totally dedicated towards you know men and, and men's grooming i, I want to take credit for being the first but i would say we were the first major successful brand that did it but you were the first urban beardsman i love that yes i'm urban beardsman number one so that's pretty fantastic what, what do you think of the state of beards overall right now just as, as a little sidebar here uh you know it, maybe you can speak about how your product lines have evolved or what's what's happening with the urban beard are we are people more likely or less likely to grow beards these days do you think i think uh, especially with uh, the lockdowns across the world uh we've seen uh, an incredible increase in the rate of people who have attempted to grow facial hair or, or started growing facial hair. I think it's as society becomes more and more comfortable with uh, accepting people for who they are, uh, you're going to see a lot more people grow facial hair. And I think when we started the, the company back in, um, well, around 2012 is when we launched e-commerce side of things, there was this movement towards like really big uh, beards. And I feel like that movement towards like the the mega you know, we call it in our space, the year, which is grown a beard for a year. Like those, those days might not be as popular as they were. So I think there's mm. always going to be style elements of facial hair. You know, if, if anyone's watching this right now with their eyes, you'll notice I have what's called a beard stash. So it's pretty, pretty pr prominent mustache and then a, a stubble, uh, beard. So the styles will evolve and change, but I think like facial hair, is here it's here to stay and it's like your head hair of course you know some guys will grow long hair they'll have short hair they'll have different styles but they're generally going to have some kind of hair and i think that's going to be the case with facial hair um in my opinion forever uh, i think I so i it. I agree we're at peak yeared. I imagine that first year of lockdown was probably like the global high of yeared since you know the middle ages perhaps uh, just because yeah. so many people were in that mode of, of you know, just sort of that not knowing what the future held and just sort of being in, in this holding pattern. So so why not grow a beard? Um, but I yeah, and I fully agree that and I love the way you tie it to to people in their authentic selves, because there's really something it always felt so weird to be running, you know, always running this this sharp blade over my face to, you know, take off what's trying to come out. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a great way for for personal expression. Uh, one thing I love about yeah, you as well. That, sorry, you go ahead. Well, well, the, just to echo what you said, uh, the default status for a guy, if he does nothing, he's going to have facial hair. So a lot of people uh, in our space will talk about, you know, peak beard or how they're going to start shaving again. I'm like, well, the, the default for men, if you do nothing, you're going to have facial hair. And uh, yeah. I think the razor companies are battling, you know, nature. And uh, I mm -hmm. think a long enough time frame, nature is probably going to win out. I love it. Uh, I was going to say what I also love about your brand, which I feel like, you know, some of the the, the following brands that kind of came after, they really capitalized on and and funniness and sort of cuteness. And one look at your YouTube channel, um, you know, I'm, it's not like you're not a fun brand, but you're serious. You're, you know, it's it's a serious men's group product. Like the you know, I, the the views that you have on your videos on YouTube are, are pretty incredible. The the view counts and hypnotic. But again, and you're not watching it to be really amused necessarily. You're watching it just like men hone their craft and and pull off great haircuts and stuff it's interesting yeah i'm i mean personally i would like to think i'm a, a pretty laid back and uh, go the flow humorous kind of guy uh, although as i've aged i've gotten less and less funny unfortunately but uh we were we always took beard seriously and especially when we started there was always like 
mustaches were real kitsch and everyone had like those sunglasses that would dangle like a little mustache or they get the the tattoo on their finger that would be a little mustache and it was just all like a big joke <coughs> Woo, excuse me um but we wanted to show that you we were serious about facial hair and uh you know it wasn't a joke and you can you can keep it and and have it and have it in a way that's not ironic uh and uh, I think a lot of people resonated with that. Love it. Can we talk a little bit about your role with the company? You know, you're a founder. Uh, you built this thing up uh, from you know from the ground up. I noticed uh, you know just sort of scoping you out on LinkedIn that you have your title as an assistant. And I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about how your role at the company has evolved and how you see you know where you provide the most value now? Yeah, in the early days, I I did everything. You know, it was operations and. In marketing, I was uh, like the the one. Well, I started off part time, and then I became like the one full time person. And then we're I was lucky enough to convince my business partner to come on uh, full time as well. And she's kind of taken over the operational role, and I've kind of moved into uh, I moved into like this creative director role. So I, I handled a lot of the design, the the packaging, the video editing, and then as we were able to get more resources, we would hire out kind of uh, more of the execution uh, task within the company. So uh, getting the shit done uh, is, is something that has been nice to get off my plate. And and I've pretty much mostly moved into this uh, strategic role where I can focus on the, the, the future of the company, how we're going to build the company out, how we're going to build the team, what the team um, culture is going to be like. And I'm still involved in the product process, uh, testing products, making sure the products uh, meet our expectations and then still a little bit on the content creation side, but, uh, it's been less as, as we've grown. So, um, really trying to, to get my mind towards the future and in the future and, uh, being able to, to relay that future to, to, to Lindsay who can execute or, or help the team execute on it and, and translate that future to the team and then correct me when I go on my, my many different tangents that are misdirecting us from this uh, sounds familiar uh, this this sounds familiar to to my fast growing startup as well um and i you know it it does pay to have those operators around you who can who can translate and and focus the the vision really you know and as a founder and ceo that's that's really what your job is is to kind of set that table and make sure that uh that the team can execute how big is the team now well i'm six foot five uh but most people (laughs) are in that five ten to you are a dad. Now, uh, you got your dad jokes yeah. handy. I love it. Exactly. Uh, we're about 15 people uh, in, in Austin and a couple other remote locations. Cool. Okay, let's talk content. And, you know, first of all, YouTube, I, I think we could talk a little bit about how you got content. Let's maybe get to that, you know, into the barbershop maybe afterwards. But can you talk a little bit about your journey with organic and paid and how your opinions on that have sort of shifted throughout the years? Oh yeah. You know, um, I, I'm probably like one of the, uh, loud vocal supporters of organic. I've always been a big fan of organic. I think, uh, bringing value to your customers first and then, um, with, with no expectations, uh, or, or no, um, ask in return is, is something that I, I always find pretty remarkable and in, in other companies who do it. So it's something that I wanted to emulate. So we did a lot of organic. Um, I mean, and we still do a lot of organic. Um, however, probably around 2017, as we shifted our organic strategy to, to try to continue to grow at a, a rapid rate, we noticed a, like a deep uh, split from our growth in our organic content and the, the growth in sales. So we, we found that we were essentially reaching an audience of people who resonated with the content, uh, but didn't so much resonate with uh, the product. And that's fine as well, because our mission is to make men awesome. And, and if it happens through our content, or if it happens through buying our products, then then that's fine. It's just when you sell more products, you, you get a louder voice and you're able to get in front of more people. Um, but lately, this past quarter, because of just... Uh, I, I, I don't know if uh, 
we're at a creative roadblock with organic content uh, or our content is just saturated like and we haven't been able to, to figure out how to produce content that will continue to grow and continue to reach new audience members and continue to engage with our existing audience we, we've kind of hit this plateau and uh, we made a strategic decision rather than you know continue to to double down on organic we still do organic but it's more of a autopilot organic and, and we're reallocating our creative assets and energies into paid. So uh, we kind of went, let's say like 80% of our production was focused on organic and 20% was paid. Well, we've flipped that where 80% is now focused on paid and 20% uh, will be focused on uh, organic. So we're still engaged in both, um, but just from a different perspective and, and, different expectations for outcome as well. Interesting. Yeah, I, th I think it's a good spot to, to be going that way because so much uh, of the good paid stuff is is merging with content as well. So I think a lot of the best marketers out there are content marketers. So you really cut your teeth in that space. Uh, you know, things like pre-sale pages that leverage your, you know, your your, con your amazing library of content in, in strategic ways, I think could be super effective uh, as you kind of make this 80-20 kind of flip. That, that's really exciting. What platforms would you say? Like, I don't know if that's if this is that if that's your side of the business exactly, but like, what platforms get you most excited in terms of ads? Um, ads, I, you know, whatever, whatever works is, yeah. is my favorite one. You know, I, I think obviously we're we're on Facebook like everyone and their mom, uh, Facebook and Instagram, and then uh, I'm a big believer in YouTube. I love marketing on YouTube. I think YouTube advertising is is more conducive to uh, more engaging content, mm -hmm. longer form content, um, which is stuff that we've traditionally done pretty well. Um, but we continue to have just, you know, problems scaling it uh, and seeing the results that we want to scale. So right now uh, we're focused on uh, the Facebook platforms. And, and then when, once we feel like we've totally exhausted that, we'll try to, to bring new channels into our fold. But uh, I've learned uh, the hard way that it's better to to get better at the things we do well, rather than trying to to do something new uh, as a way to grow. So uh, the, the opportunities are usually bigger and uh, quicker and faster if you can just continuously improve the things that you do well until you can't improve anymore. And then once you realize you can't improve anymore, like kind of like with our organic content, it's like. I don't think we can do anything better than what we're currently doing at this point in our business. So now we need to shift. So that's the way that I, I, I try to think of how we focus uh, within our organization. And then if, if we feel like there's still room for improvement, then we need to focus on that and, and get better at that. I love it with, with how big these platforms are, especially that Facebook and Instagram are combined. Um, and the fact that when you add, uh, you add in other channels without, you know, having a strong sense of your metrics on Facebook and Instagram, you're, you could be in a world of hurt regarding attribution and, and, and all of these types of things. So I, I think it makes, makes a, a ton of sense to be conquering them kind of one, one piece at a time. I feel like Google and Facebook to me run alongside each other in, in some ways, just because, uh, you know, the, the, the intent based nature of Google and, you know, and YouTube and all those things. Um, but uh, but that's that's really exciting there. Let's let's go. Let's talk a little bit about organic then, and and describe your organic content strategy that you kind of have pushed to to its limit and now have on a bit more of a of an autopilot. Yeah, I mean, uh, to, to tell the organic strategy, um, you kind of got to hop in the time machine and uh, go all the way back. So, really, our our first organic platform was Tumblr which no one even says that word anymore. You know, once they sold off to, to Yahoo, they just lost its, its soul. But we, we had grown like a, a following of about 30,000 people on Tumblr back in the day. And, and it was a great way for us to, to build our brand and image of, of what Beard Brand was. Uh, in addition to Tumblr, we had a blog. Uh, we've always been on the content writing side of things. And then we had our YouTube channel. We didn't really know what we we're doing in the early days. We just produced whatever content. And then what hit is what we would do more of. And eventually we, we ended up filming uh, a couple of barbershop videos and those videos really took off. And that was an indication that we needed to focus on that. So we, we shifted to, to this barbershop content uh, alongside like our uh, tutorial based uh, beauty content for lack of a better term. Eventually, we noticed the the barbershop videos 
really hit. Um, and then the tutorial videos uh, didn't hit as much. And, and based on how the YouTube algorithm was going on at that point, we decided to, to split the channels into two. So one that would focus on barbershop content where most of our viewers were on that. And then we had this new channel called the Alliance where it would be more focused on the tutorials and the, the styling tips and grooming tips and things like that. Uh, and then we just continued to, to focus on growing both of those simultaneously. And, and we had, a we had been doing, um, seven videos a day on our YouTube channel. And then we continued to do seven videos, excuse me, seven videos a day. That's a lot. Seven a lot. videos a week. Yeah. Seven videos a week. So one a day. Uh, but when we split the channels, we essentially did, uh, you know, three a week on one channel and four a week on the other channel. So we still did about seven videos a week. Um, but they were just split between two channels. And I think that that went well, uh, it kind of held us along, but, uh, we eventually got to the point where, uh, you know, it, maybe we oversaturated the marketplace. We produced too much content. It wasn't, you know, like new enough. Um, so the, the most recent shift is, uh, I've been holding off from, from TikTok forever, you know, and everyone's like, TikTok, TikTok. And I think like, you know, like almost all these social media platforms, I don't trust any of them. Um, but TikTok, I really don't trust. Like, I, like, are those views real? Are they just counting a view every time it repeats? You know, it just seems pretty unreal to, to, to have the kind of views that we have, but Anyways, I got a, a buddy who was able to take our old content and produce TikTok content for us. So uh, we started pumping TikTok content out uh, about a month ago. It's been really recent. And uh, I think today we just finally had our first, you know, viral video where I don't think we've passed a million views yet, but it has the potential to, to pass a million views uh, here in a couple hours, hopefully. That's the platform for virality right now, right? I think that's what I'm hearing from everyone yeah. else. It's you know, but I mean, we, like, we have what a good is, It depends, right? Like, say, it, what good is virality if if it's not driving awareness to your brand? You know, like if if people aren't coming to the brand, so yeah, it's it's always that balance of you know the vanity of of all the people following you, and, and does it actually bring awareness to your company? So yeah, I'm really interested because we we run not the content strategy for a lot of brands. We run the ad strategy for a lot of brands on TikTok, and and we're and we're 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 creating some some TikToks because that's the the you know the big advice there is don't create ads, create TikToks. Um, but at the same time, they're still kind of you know they're they're ads from another platform that we've kind of TikTokified, but they're sort of running it you know uh, at a ROAS positive rate, um, you know after attribution and all that. So it's it, it is it is doable just to kind of view it as an ad platform as well. But I don't you're not going to get that virality that you're that you're going to you're not, you're not going to catch surge of brand awareness like you can which is i think a really attractive part of, of growing that top of funnel yeah it's exciting you know i i think that's one thing that you got to think about in business too is if you're in it for the grind for the long haul is a new platform like this is a way to to bring spice into your marketing efforts you know something to learn something to conquer something to to figure out uh clearly uh, there's people who have found ways to find engagement on the platform and build success. And, you know, like we want to figure it out, you know, in, a, in just a month, we've been able to get 15,000 followers on a TikTok platform that, you know, is for young people. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if we can continue to grow that and get that up to the same kind of follower range that we have on our uh, other platforms. Love it. Well, you hinted at it a little bit in that answer there, um, in the notes here to talk about like, what mindset do you recommend for D2C brand builders just getting into it? Like the landscape has shifted a lot since since you started. Um, the, the, it's still low barriers to entry. I think you'd probably agree, but maybe not as low uh, as back then. You know, what's what's your major advice for the mindset of D2C entrepreneurs right now? I mean, I think it's... The, the big thing and something that we always have in the back of the mind is, is addressing the, the elephant in the room, which is Amazon and the reality that Amazon is the major, you know, it's the Walmart of the nineties. It's like, it's where everyone goes and they're pushing mom and pop. They're pushing mom and pop shops like Beard Brand, you know, out of the yep. way. And in my opinion, like there, there's room for both, but you have to do the things that Amazon can't do. So Amazon can freaking give you every freaking option under the sun. 
and Amazon can ship products and get them to you like the next day. Um, but what Amazon can't do is have beautifully packaged boxes. But what Amazon can't do is, is a really unique uh, user experience on the buying side where you just overwhelm them with content and information and videos and photography. Uh, what they can't do is, you know, bricks and mortar stuff. Like uh, we opened up a barbershop here in Austin, Texas, and, and you can come in and you can experience the products and you can get a haircut and you can get what you see on the YouTube channel. Amazon's never going to do that. Nope. Um, so these are ways that, in my opinion, if you want to build a company or a brand off of Amazon, these are the things you need to be thinking about is don't try to beat Amazon at your game. Cause you know, if I was a betting man, you're probably going to lose. If, if you're trying to be the, the cheapest person out there with the most selection and ship the fastest, I, I bet you Amazon will beat you. But if your game is recognizing what they're good at and what they're not good at, and then making your business cater towards those people who don't want the Amazon experience, then you're going to be able to carve out a nice little niche uh, business and, and one that there's still tons of opportunity and, and tons of, uh, business out there. That's, that's interesting to, yeah, to, to, they are such a force in the industry. Have you like, has your stance on Amazon been consistent since day one? Have you guys dabbled in Amazon? Have you, you know, you, you're, it sounds like you're, you're cause most, most branders I talk to probably are doing both. They they're focused on D to C they're also running on, um, but it sounds like you've made a decision with just to really not be on Amazon. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So we didn't, we don't sell on Amazon. We haven't sold on Amazon for about like three years or something like that. We, we did sell because all my buddies are like, Oh yeah, you're just leaving money on the table by being on, you know, not being on Amazon or not focusing on Amazon. And, and after one of these conferences, you know, I heard enough and I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Let's try Amazon. Let's try to do it right. Let's try to grow it. So what we did is, uh, up to that point, we had been selling through a, a third party, uh, essentially like a, a wholesaler who would sell our products on, on Amazon. And, uh, we figured, well, if we do it in house, then we no longer have to, to pay their margins. And then, uh, we'll just hire someone to manage the listing and, and do really good at it. Well, we never, we were never able to hire that person. And in that process, like our listings had kind of expired and, uh, stock had run out. And we found that we essentially weren't selling on Amazon anymore. And I'll give you some numbers in a round number. So let's say our product sold for a hundred dollars, uh, which means we would sell it to the, the wholesaler for $50 and they would sell it for a hundred dollars on Amazon. Our hope was that by getting off of Amazon, we would essentially generate that same revenue that we lost, um, to the whole. So, so the worst case scenario is we replace what our wholesale sales were. The, 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 the expected experience is we would convert that hundred dollars that was sold on Amazon to the hundred dollars sold on beard brand. But what we found is it was actually about $200 that we were generating. Um, because what happens in my opinion is people would go to beardbrand.com, they would shop, they'd find their products. Then they'd immediately pull up Amazon. They'd go to Amazon, they would buy the product because they trust Amazon and that's fair. And then Amazon would be like, Hey, check out this Chinese made crappy brush and, and comb. Why don't you buy that? And they're like, Oh yeah, I'll do that. So they end up spending, uh, whatever our product is and, and the accessories. Whereas now they come to beardbrand.com and we're like, we're like, Hey, why don't you check out our, our, you know, French made brush and, and, uh, Italian acetates and nice comb. And they're like, yeah, you're, you're right. I'll do that. So they end up buying a couple of products with us. Whereas when we're selling on Amazon, they buy the one product, but they want to buy the other one. So, uh, we maintain the AOV of, uh, what they had, but, but all the products were beer brand products. So we were, you know, after all was said and done being on Amazon was actually, uh, detrimental to our business. It was hindering our, the, the growth of our business and we we're just giving margin to Amazon. So I think a lot of people who are brand focused, right? Here's the key. The company's brand focus. They're searching for your brand on Amazon. You are shooting yourself in the foot by being on Amazon. I'm just going to flat out say it. You are losing money by being on Amazon. If you are a brand driven, like Nike, if I was Nike, I would do everything in my, my possible everything I could to get my products off of Amazon. 
and people will go to nike.com and get the products. They're just literally just giving margin to Amazon because people will shop at nike.com. Like, if people want uh, Nike shoes, they're getting Nike now, shoes generally, right? Regardless. Yeah, yes, exactly. Now, now, here's the thing if you're not a brand, if you've got an excellent product um, and nobody knows who the heck you are, but your product is amazing, sell on Amazon. Trust me, you'll make tons of money. It's a great platform. You'll get your reviews. You'll be able to grow. So I, I really want to distinguish that there is companies that do well on Amazon and then companies where Amazon's going to screw you. Um, and, and you're going to think you're doing great because you'll see all the sales on Amazon, but those sales would have been on your domain.com. I imagine too early on in categories, there's opportunities for, for brands before all of the Chinese copycats or whatever copycats come in, um, that there's, or if you have, if you have more, if you have a lot of product defensibility, potentially, I could see that being a good use. But when, when you're in a space with a ton of competition and a, and a, and a mature space, I could definitely see that being a major issue. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, we were, we were still pretty, pretty early, uh, in the beard grooming space, there's still, still a little blue ocean. It wasn't completely wide open, but, uh, and then like in hindsight, I, I bet you a lot of those guys selling on Amazon, uh, they're probably doing more volume than us. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, they had bigger companies than us or, or at least in terms of top line revenue. Mm. Um, but I'm okay with it. You know, it's just, uh, I'm competitive and I want to beat them. Like I want to do more than them, but, um, you know, it's okay. Like it's okay to build a business your own way and, and, and something that is more suited to your skill set. And my skill sets are, you know, design and brand building and storytelling and customer support and customer experience. Uh, my skills aren't, you know, like analyzing data to figure out what market's going to, you know, get the best reviews or all that, the junk that all the gray hat stuff that people do on, on Amazon. I like this. And it goes back to yourself of just being true to your, your, your authentic nature, true to your vision. And I, it's, it's something I've, I've heard talk about as well, just sort of, um, you know, the mindset go about building one of these businesses uh, is best when it's a long term, when you have this idea of sort of being in it for the long haul, not necessarily looking to flip it quick. Um, and, and, but also understanding, I think what I'm getting from you now is, is sort of understanding, yeah, what your visions are. They, they, you don't have to have, you know, there's, there's no one right kind of company or one right kind of growth plan. Like as long as you're enjoying it and creating some profit and, you know, enriching the lives of your employees and things like that by giving them something to, to care about. Um, you know, that's really where it's absolutely, at. absolutely. I think it's, um, it's easy to fall into the trap of this is what every entrepreneur is doing, or this is what every D2C company is doing. And I've got to do it too. And now, man, like you, you only got one life, you know, and, and you know what you enjoy in life and you know what you don't enjoy. And, um, you don't have to do it. Like you don't have to build a $50 million company or a hundred million dollar company. You can build a, a, a million dollar company. And one that's profitable that that prints out you know ten to ten to twenty percent profitability uh, on a million dollars is I mean that's a hundred two hundred thousand dollars a year that's a really good life uh, and you can have the freedom and the lack of stress a million dollar company you could run with like one or two or maybe three employees um, so do your like this is your life you're in control of it you're in control of those decisions. Build, build the company you want. Build the one that you want to do for the next 30 years. Order Groove's subscription platform enables merchants to rapidly scale recurring revenue, deliver a superior subscriber experience, and maximize subscriber lifetime value. Leading merchants utilize Order Groove's powerful tools, promotions, and AI-powered personalization to drive subscriber enrollment, optimize subscriber retention, and increase average order value. Visit ordergroove.com DTC to request a complimentary audit of your existing or future subscription program. Okay, let's a little bit about uh, marketing channels, marketing expert, different expertise. Do you prefer building teams in-house or hiring externally? Yeah. Uh, both. I, I think it's for something that you feel like you want to have a competitive advantage in the marketplace, you try to do it in-house. And for something that you feel like is not going to be a core competency uh, to the company, you need to do it outsourced. So uh, we outsourced a lot in the early days and that allowed us to scale up quickly. So we never got into three PLs. Um, we, we outsourced a lot of PR 
um, which is great to leverage people who have existing relationships. Uh, we, we worked with, uh, ad, uh, providers in the early days. And then as we realized the importance of creating ad content and how ad contents in our case, like 90% of the success of, of paid, we brought that in house. So, um, we're able to produce content quicker and faster based on the data that we're seeing. So you just have to realize what you enjoy doing, what you want to do and outsource the stuff you don't really care to do or, or think you can bring value in. Love it. Um, I wanted to get a little value bomb in here. I noticed a tweet that you put out on May 3rd with a very, with a sort of specific description of a kind of creative format that was working well. Uh, can you, are you able to describe this sort of creative style and is it still working well? Yeah, so uh, the the ad was essentially uh, a really fast moving. Uh, I think it was like a tutorial. I was applying some oil or something like that. And one of the rules that we kind of had is you've got to have like at least three cuts within the first five seconds. And I think this one had like eight cuts or something like that within the first five seconds. So it's yeah. just like you've got to figure out something that's, that's going to catch people's eyes. Uh, they're not going to sit around and, and wait. So the, the whole, the whole phrase in the industry is just like thumb stopping content is the goal. And a lot of times to, to get that thumb stopping content, you really have to have a really engaging hook or, or some kind of visual stimulation where it's, it's fast moving. They want to stick around. So um, I'm not the, the ad guy, so I don't know if that particular ad uh, is performing very well. Still, what we've found is uh, our shelf life for an ad is about five days. Uh, so uh, we have to crank out new content every single week. Um, it, it just it will do well, and then it just kind of falls flat. So, um, yeah, it's it's discouraging to a certain degree, but once you realize that, then you just build your process and your system to, to be able to crank out content every week and you keep your mind fresh. Hence the 80, 20 switch, uh, when you recognize that, yeah, that it takes all, it takes just as much content to grow the paid side as it does the organic side and probably even more careful content. Yeah. I mean, it's sometimes you just, you don't know what's going to hit. We, we put a lot of work and energy into this one ad that was a, an alliteration style ad, like, um, the um, the TV show Letter Letter Kenny, um, yeah, yeah oh, Canadian content, love so, it. So uh, we had uh, you know um, a really creative. It was really creative, uh, really well done. Our copywriter wrote it. Uh, we went to a lot of work to produce it. There's a lot of hours spent, and it was just a complete flop. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> did nothing it did nothing and then, and then we'll have one of me just like holding a video and be like buy this product you know like go get it at beard brand and then it's it sells way more so it's sometimes you don't know what will work or what you think will be engaging uh, or or people will you know connect and and appreciate the alliteration uh, they don't or, or they don't see it or it's too quick for them so it's too clever yeah, by uh, half sometimes yeah, and, and I think it's just, uh, unfortunately, in the ad game, it's uh, quantity over quality. So you just got to get it all out there. I, I was uh, talking with someone who said they would create 100 ads and just test them all, and they'll throw away you know 70% of them to just stick with the, the 30 that are winners. It's, you never really know what, what'll hit. I'll say one of the ads that we're all talking about on the pilot house side right now is one, one, one that our media buyers wrote for a housewares brand. And he literally transposed all the lyrics of lose yourself by Eminem into describing how to use this, this housewares product. And, uh, and it's, it's one of those ones that you put a lot of work into and it's actually paying off. It's actually working really well. So if you're ever stuck, just see if you can come up with a beard lyric for, for lose yourself. Yeah, I know it's it's possible, you know, it, it, but the name of the game is you just don't know. And then the same is with organic too. You, you create organic content that you think is going to hit and then you get a couple hundred views and then you do something else where you're just like, ah, I had to get it out and it's a million views. So you, you never know like uh, the real nature of, of what's going to produce, but the more you do it, the more you learn. And the yep. more you learn, the, the, the more refined your content can be. And it, it's like a skill set that, that you're going to sharpen. So I would encourage anybody to focus on progress over perfection and not, not 
have the perfect ad instead have the ad that gets out there and, and learn like look at your ad data and it's like when are people dropping off oh they're dropping off right here oh the, yeah that's when i went on a 30 second rambling about whatever i'm not going to do that again in my next video you know so yep or if i'm going to do it i'm going to do it at the end of the video you know so there's there's just things that you want to gleam and you're not going to be able to get that data unless you push stuff live data backed iteration that's that's the key i think um, and, and throwing it out there too. I really agree with that. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask about was your your thoughts on PR. I know that PR has been a sort of a, a critical component along the way in, in the beard brand journey. Um, how do you think about PR now? And has that changed? You know, has the PR game changed at all since you, 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 you launched? Yeah, I think um, um, so. So PR isn't necessarily something that's like strategic within our organization where we're like, oh, here's our PR plan. But I, I think when you think of PR, what you it, it should be part of your 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 process and building your business because it's like, what is the story we're telling? Right. And whether that story goes to to media outlets or it goes to your customers, you need to have that story, that vision, that purpose, that reason why people would want to talk about what you're doing. And if you don't have any kind of angle like that, the reality is like, why would someone buy from you? So PR needs to just kind of be integrated into your culture and your content. And I also think about like, um, if you're building a new brand uh, and you have no traction at all, I think PR, working with a PR firm, that does do a little more of that traditional media outreach, I think is vital because um, the placements that you get, I will absolutely guarantee you that none of those will give you the return that you're looking for. Uh, you know, like for us, the space is like, if I got on into men's health or GQ or um, whatever, men's magazine, those articles are not gonna drive any sales uh, to justify the, the price we would be paying for PR. But what it does do is it generates a link. And that link is building the foundation of your, your search engine optimization. And you need to have a strong link foundation for your, your website and to your company. So those links are far more valuable than any of the traffic that you're gonna be getting from this. So a PR strategy is a great way it is really like an SEO strategy, in my opinion, and a great way to, to build authority to your website. I love it. And I think as, as performance marketers, uh, you know, quite often you're looking for that direct return, the direct response, but in, in a lot of cases you have to, uh, you have to build the net that people kind of get, get caught in as well. Not only the link, the, the authority, um, you know, as far as, as SEO goes as well, but just also creating, making yourself ubiquitous, uh, within people's searches and within people's, you know, concept of that, that space is, is critical. Yep. Totally nice. agree. Um, okay, cool. I, I, I hear that you have like any good D 2 C, uh, you know, entrepreneur, you have a side project that you were interested in telling us about. Can you tell us a little bit about your side project? Oh, yeah. yeah, I got it right over here. This is uh, well, I got a bunch of side projects like any good entrepreneur. So I'll, I'll pitch the, the easy one up front is uh, it's called area six, two, seven area six, two, seven stands for six figures to seven figures. And uh, area is an acronym for the, the first letter of, of all the founders names. So we're very proud of the name, but area 627 is, is essentially being able to export all the junk in my brain and in, to, to give it to someone who's in a six figure business, who's gotten traction and wants to get to that next level. And we're looking to, to partner up with companies who want to kind of bootstrap. And I get the irony of us like investing in a company, but to me, it's more about um, building a partnership with a brand, uh, that, that, that will stay with for the next, you know, 10 or 20 years, not as like this investment to grow company to, to, to sell. So we're trying to build, just help people build sustainable businesses that they're going to love for the, the next 20 years to the rest of their life. So that's area six to seven. And, and we've already got a, a deal, uh, that that's going to be closing pretty soon that we're pretty excited about. So uh, knock on wood, it's not, it's not totally wrapped up, but we're pretty excited about. And then the other one is uh, this uh, brand sovereignty. Everything's still promotional. We're, we're trying to get it launched uh, in third quarter, sep September. But the goal is, is really kind of 
Um, what we found is a lot of our beard brand products were, were used by the, the women on the team and, uh, being able to, um, help women, uh, use an amazing product. And the, the reality is, um, as good as the product is going to be, it's going to be really hard for women to get behind it. The brand called beard brand, it's mm. just, it's yes. clearly targeted towards men and we're okay with that. You know, it's a men's brand. So sovereignty is, is going to be, it'll be gender neutral. It, it's not going to really be like a women's brand or a men's brand. Um, but ideally, or, or primarily we're going to be speaking to women and kind of their needs, uh, along with, um, their families and, and, uh, but their, their children and their spouses who, uh, may find interest in the product. So, um, pretty, pretty word. excited about that. It's a powerful word. Sovereignty. Yeah, sovereignty. Especially in, you know, in our modern climate, uh, I feel like sovereignty is at a bit of a premium. Uh, and, uh, that, that's a pretty, can you talk a little bit of a decision to, to, with that? Yeah. I mean, uh, if we really want to go down the rabbit hole, uh, I'm a, I'm a good old fashioned libertarian. So I, I love uh, I sense that. I sense that from your answers. I'd love to yeah. do a second podcast on that. Yeah. Libertarian freedom. Uh, our, our core values are uh, freedom, hunger, and trust up your brand, which, uh, coincidentally or not so coincidentally align with, uh, um, my, my personal core values and, uh, sovereignty. Uh, so it's spelled differently. It's S O V R N T Y. Uh, is a domain. It was actually my uh, graphic design business and uh, the business that Beard Brand started under uh, when we launched. And uh, I always had the the domain and the name. I like the name. Uh, and I, I wanted to build a brand that was focused around self-sufficiency and kind of like that that uh, individual sovereignty or, or that personal freedom um, and, and target people who value that kind of things and, and to make products that would fit that lifestyle. So, uh, I, I don't want to go too far into it because, you know, I'm sure there's an entrepreneur out there who's, who's a little more nimble than we are right now. Uh, that might take all the good ideas, but, mm. uh, yeah, it, it will be, uh, uh, the beard brand, uh, uh, probably like a slightly modified version of the, the beard brand formulations for, uh, for our products and, and catering it towards, uh, an audience. So it won't be the exact same products we're doing, but, uh, um, you know, we'll be leaning heavily on, uh, our internal, um, staff, the, the women and, and how they use the product and, and kind of making it for them. But yeah, self-sufficiency will be like an over overwhelming theme within the organization. I like it. I think there could be a real, uh, rebound to that in the, in the coming months, even as, as this, this whole situation subsides a little bit. And, uh, I think, I think you're, I think it could be well positioned. I, I really like it. We'll see. We'll see. You know, it, it's like beard brand beard brand to a certain degree is, is a passion project of mine. I love facial hair. I've always wanted to have a beard. Uh, I'm urban beardsman number one. You know, I am, I am the, the, the customer and, and sovereignty is the same thing too. You know, I, I live a debt-free life, you know, I, I, uh, yeah. you know, I, uh, that's like the big one, but I'm like free, you know, I'm free. I can travel where I want and spend time with the people I want. I lo have a job that I love, you know, and I want, I want to create a life uh, and I want to help people live that life too. I want them to, to find a, a way to be self-sufficient and, and do the, do, do, so I say it right here on the label, it's, um, you know, uh, help our customers live a life that's more sustainable and, and uh, more focused and, and one of their own choosing. I love it. Uh, do you ever find yourself wondering, should we have just listened more to Ron Paul? No, I won't let, I won't even let you answer that. Uh, but, uh, let's, let's move on to our rapid fire round, uh, where we ask questions and we're looking for, you know, 30 second kind of answers to, uh, can you name two brands outside of yours that you're a big fan of? Yeah. Uh, so I just picked up these sunglasses. Uh, they're, a, they're an Austin brand. Oh, there we go. You like that. Oh yeah. Uh, for those who can't I love those. See yeah, this, we're Pit Vipers, right? No, well, they're not Pit I do like Pit Viper. Pit Viper is a brand that I do. Yeah, they're a little so these, more Yeah. These are Rokas. Uh R O K A. Nice. They're an Austin brand and I'm a complete sucker for any company that does customization. So I custom selected uh the components of these glasses so they're they're pink 
pink on the side, uh, neon yellow on the Sweet. bottom and, and blue lenses and got this total 80s vintage vibe. So um, Rokas are, are pretty cool, uh, what they're doing. Uh, Pit Viper, of course, is super cool, uh, which has a very similar vibe. Um, I also like uh, Onyx Coffee Labs, uh, which makes some mm. amazing uh, coffee. And their website is stunningly beautiful. Tracksmith, uh, from an athleisure standpoint, uh, they're doing some cool things. Another awesome company here in town, Cricket. I could go on. There's a lot of yeah. Who I really am. This is cool. I'm gonna reach out to all of them. I want them on the cast. Uh, that sounds yeah. Awesome. Well, I've I've tried to get a lot of them on my podcast too, and uh, I haven't been able to do that. So if you get them, then send them my way afterwards. I'll, I'll send them back your way for sure. Uh, that's awesome. Okay. Uh, next question is if we were to give you a $50,000 grant, uh, to use in your marketing, where exactly do you use that in your marketing in the next month? Yeah, I think it depends on the company. So if it's something like sovereignty, that's a fresh new company, uh, I would like to get products in the hands of, uh, influential people in a way that I might be able to generate uh, user generated content and proof of, um, the social proof, I guess, is what they call it. Uh, however, if uh, it's an established brand, I'll, I'll just continue to pump it into things that are working. So uh, social social is working well for us. Um, so just paid ads. Nice. Uh, and then do you have a, a scrappy marketing story you could share? I feel like as marketers, performance marketers, we've all got some, some times where we pulled some, some wild stuff together, pulled off a scrappy marketing campaign. Do, do you have anything like that? I mean, uh, the, the whole, like, first year everything was scrappy i don't think we paid for anything uh, in the early days i was uh, on reddit a lot in the i remember one of them was like um in the reddit subreddit our beards i had just turned 33 so i was giving away 33 bottles of beard oil and uh, the community just loved that and they engaged with it and i was engaged in the community so it was authentic and they like supporting beard brand and what we're doing so um we we saw a lot of early success from just simply being engaged and our community. Nice. Okay, cool. Well, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, uh, any of your brands, including uh, Area 627, which I think is a really cool, cool project. And I, even just to say about that quickly, like not only, you know, you're going to be, uh, you know, these brands that, that you're working with, but the community of other entrepreneurs, that's something that, that I find you know, in this newsletter, this podcast, bringing together a bunch of DDD uh, entrepreneurs is just is always a very valuable whether that's in a mastermind or a community or a slack group um to find when you get these people together uh, you know amazing things happen and and there's a lot of fun to be had you know, aside from all the business as well so i feel like that's a really cool opportunity um and if people want to get in touch with you how do you recommend they do that yeah so uh area 627 uh, like you said the our first investment is a solo solo founder uh, who, who wants that, that ideation to be able to bounce ideas off of, uh, with business partners. So, uh, area627.com, uh, sovereignty.com, S O V R N T Y.com and beardbrand.com, uh, are all the businesses that I'm, uh, part of. And then me personally, I'm Eric Banholtz. Uh, I'm the only Eric Banholtz out there, uh, but Twitter is my preferred, uh, social media platform. So hit me up on Twitter. It's at Banholtz is my handle. Nice. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on the DC podcast today and sharing your experiences with us. Uh, ho hope you'll come back soon uh, in, uh, yeah, I, to, to see how things grow for you uh, throughout 2021. Yeah, this has just been uh, two Eric's uh, having a good time together. Sh shooting the breeze. Uh, and the next podcast we'll do Ron Paul, and I'm very excited about that. There you go. Cheers. All right. Thanks, Eric.